I say thank you. I, I don't know how much I really mean that. Bruce, thank you for your uh, consistent on-the-job training. Please don't go anywhere. We're going to need it for many months to come. Um, you said two hours, right? Oh, I see what it is. Okay. Well, I know one thing is for sure, that this four-week is not going to be enough for the team that we had today because that was probably the best bacon we've had and sausage in a while. I've heard, heard a lot of com comments. What, what was the name of the team? It's not the Bob Whites. It's the Burroughs. All right. Um, so, have you ever thought about our church and thought there's got to be more? Or have you ever thought about your life and thought, there's got to be more to it? I just want to introduce myself uh, without the bathroom humor. I'm Curtis Martin, for those who, who don't know me. Uh, long life, God story short. Um, I came to know Christ when I was 15. A, a girl from uh, a youth group at my school said, hey, we're going on this mission trip to Kentucky to a children's home. Uh, do you want to come be the uh, projector geek? We didn't have PowerPoint back then. It was multiple projectors you would line up. And I thought she was cute, and uh, I would like to know her. So I said, yeah, I'm going. I'll, I'll go. And it was as we were on that mission trip uh, at this orphanage in uh, Kentucky that I realized this message that they were presenting to the kids was uh, something I had never really heard before. And it was at that point I gave my life to Christ. Shuttle Ford went through three or four agonizing years of totally giving that up. And I, I, would, I don't know if I'd say atheist, but certainly agnostic and wrestled with all those tough questions and just kind of let God go. This is Southern culture. Thankfully, in God's big grace, he said, I'm just working you out. It's going to be your faith instead of your parents' faith. And he, he pulled me back into him. And uh, so I wanted to share this morning kind of some things I've observed. Uh, and, you know, my testimony is just watching each new waymark of my life. And God shows up in a different way each time. And I'm sure you've experienced that too. Uh, when I was 14, I was a ultimate TV geek. Matter of fact, the uh, uh, television station in Starkville, Mississippi was at First Methodist Church, where that youth group was I told you about. And so I started getting plugged into television. And it would shuttle forward a little bit. And that early love of television actually led me into doing sports television for uh, a career. And that's what I do. Um, I work with ESPN and Fox and CBS and whoever will hire me. Uh, I started out as a camera guy. And uh, then when I got tired of getting run over by NBA players, because they don't, they don't care. They're just trying to get to the basket. If you're under the basket and you're in the way, you're going down. When I get tired of getting run over by those guys, I, the next natural progression is to move into the TV truck and do replays. So if you've seen watching your favorite football game and you've seen them rock the foot back and forth. Was it on the line? Was it in? Was it out? Uh, that's what I do. Uh, if you've seen the music videos when you're going to break that have two or three touchdowns and the cheerleader and the coach and the fist bump, we edit those. When they come back from halftime and they go, Dak Prescott's had a great uh, you know, second quarter, 
we actually take clips of him and put them together. And, and so, that, so that's, that's kind of what I, I do. Um, and it's, one of the great things is it's just taken me all across America, you know, doing football, basketball, baseball, uh, even cardboard boat racing. Did you know that was a thing? ESPN over in Hot Springs had cardboard boat racing and covered it. And uh, while the Olympics was going on, that would, it's such an honor to do an Olympics. I wasn't doing the Olympics. I was doing a, a cornhole tournament on CPS. <laughs> but, uh, but one day, maybe. Um, I'm leaving next Thursday to do the Miami Open, and then I got invited this year to go to do the U.S. Open, uh, which is going to be really exciting in, in New York. But uh, this has given me a front row seat to seeing the difference between fans and players. And um, as a handheld camera guy, you're always looking for that great money shot with the fans. You know, the crazy fan with the, with the full body paint or the wig or the signs or, or those guys that, that line up. You know, they try to spell something out, except for those last two guys have had a few too many in there. Don't ever spell out what they think they're spelling on TV. Um, during this time, I've realized there's a pretty big difference between being a fan and a player. And fans, by definition, are great admirers of the team, of which my wife is one of Mississippi State baseball. She has been waiting. I think she loves the baseball Bulldogs more than she does me sometimes. And her, her lifelong goal was to see a national championship, which, you know, we opened the door for Mississippi to be able to get into national baseball championships last year. Uh, but anyway, I happened to capture on the phone, I think, what says a perfect definition of fan when they won the College World Series last year. Whoops. If that doesn't describe fan, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure uh, what does. But uh, fans show up at the games. They know the stat of every player. Uh, they wear their team colors and their jerseys. They obviously make lots of noise. There's some that name their kids after their favorite players. I worked with a guy in, in Chicago uh, who had been a Bulls fan all his life, and uh, you can probably guess what he named his first son, Jordan. Yep. Uh, the, and I read a couple of years ago that ESPN had actually found three different cases of where kids had legally been named ESPN. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what the parents are saying. Espen, time to come in and eat, you know. Um, but they're the ones that will show up six hours early, shove a beer can and a chicken, wrap anything in bacon, throw it on the grill. We know what the fans are. The players, on the other hand are listening to the coach to find out what it takes to win. The players are in the weight room and they're conditioning. I don't know if you know any local high school football players, but when school is out, they wait about a, a week and then they get back out on the field at eight o'clock in the morning in DeSoto County during their free time to condition all summer long. That's crazy. 
And you asked me how I know is because uh, Millie, my daughter, is, uh, we signed her up for cross country. We didn't realize we were <clears throat> signing ourselves up for cross country. And they meet at like 6 o'clock in the morning. And she doesn't drive. So I, I said to the coach, uh, you know, well, maybe she could just run from the house to the field and back. And would that, that count? But that wasn't happening. Um, players have to cultivate a diet to bulk them up or slim them down. They've got to go through the discipline and the, com and the commitment to exercise their heart, get it into shape. I mean, it takes me two full hands just to press up off the couch to get to the refrigerator. But these guys are, you know, conditioning all year long. Um, the actions they make every day affects the outcome of the games. And the fans, while they may provide encouragement, don't really affect uh, the ball getting across the goal line. So what I've learned in TV is there's a big difference between being a fan and being on the field playing the game. And I can't help but wonder if this holds true outside of sports, maybe in the church, maybe in the way that we follow Jesus. Is there a difference between just being a fan and being a follower and being a player on the field? Fans of Jesus admire him. They show up at his rallies. They wear his clothes. Maybe they wear a cross necklace. Um, Fans of Jesus know a lot about him. They may be able to make a, a mean beer can chicken for their family night supper. But the question is, are the fans of Jesus really doing anything to affect the outcome of the game? Now, the followers of Jesus, the players on the field, are all in. They don't just think Jesus is a good idea. They're committed to him. And they're committed to doing what it takes to follow him. This changed my life. Do you ever come into church and think it's all there is? You come in, you sing a few praise songs, you hear a sweet little devotion that, you know, warms your heart a little bit, you go back out and eat, and then you do it all again next Sunday. Does that ever happen? Do you, do you end up thinking there's, there's got to be more to this? I mean, this is the same God who created 200 billion galaxies. This is the same God who parted the Red Sea. This is the same God who, who spoke from a burning bush and from a donkey. <laughs> this is the same God who healed people. This is the same God who rose people from the dead. This is the same guy who was born from a virgin. This is the same guy who was raised from the dead. And you think... Is this all there is to it? I come in and listen to a, a, a three points in a poem and sing some songs and go back out. There's got to be more to this. And there is. I was watching the Olympics. I don't know if anybody ever watches the Olympics, but it, I, I don't usually. But I was watching the closing ceremonies this past fall or at the end of the summer. And I was sitting there started thinking about how these Olympic athletes train from when they're very young and the dedication that they give to getting up every morning, taking the encouragement or discipline from their parents and, you know, the workout, the routine, the eating, all this. And I was just kind of overwhelmed as I was thinking about how dedicated you have to be to be an Olympic athlete. And I stand up to get some water and my wrist vibrates. And it's my uh, iWatch that says, stand goal achieved. You've reached your stand goal, Curtis. Nicely done. 
And I'm thinking, wait, they do all this, and is my watch mocking me? You've stood up, and I, you stood up enough, big guy. Nice job. Okay, it's making me feel very proud that I'm, I'm standing up. I wonder if that's what's happening to the church. Have we convinced ourselves that showing up for inspirational talk is a victory and that we've traded away what God has planned and in store for us to do. He said, I have come that you may have life and you may have it to the what? To the fullest. How full is just, it's, don't get me wrong, sermons are great. We need to hear from God. We need to be inspired. But is there more than that to it? And I would contend that as we look at the difference between fans and followers, that the answer is, is yes to that. How did the Christian life end up becoming a spectator sport where we just watch? I, I, I would love to know the answer to that question. The Christian life is doing what we were designed by the God who made us specifically to do the things for him. So the question we're going to look at this morning is, are you just a fan or are you on the field? Let me help you out. If you've said church is boring lately, chances are you may not be on the field. There's no way these kids would give up their summers to go to two-a-days if there was no game. And the good news is there's a big game, and God has called each of us to it, nobody without exception. It's not the coach's job to play the game. It's not the paid staff's job to do it. They cast the vision. We're the members. We're the ministers. All right, let's see what Peter had to say about that. Second chapter, he says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You know, in the early church, all the believers did the evangelism. They were, they were the ministers. You did, it was not like, uh, you know, Getwell Road where there's a church every 500 feet. Ironically, Church Road has very few churches on it. But they would, they would go out. They would do the evangelism. They would share the story of what God has done. And then they would come back, and the elders and the leaders would ins inspire them and fill them up again, and they'd share their stories, and they'd go back out, and they'd do it all again. It was the members of the church who were the ministers. And somehow we've kind of just traded that into us, oh, Jonathan and Hunter and Ben's job and the rest of the staff. You know, the coach is not the player. The coach is there to inspire us to do what God pre-designed us to do for him. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10, you hear the first part of this a lot when you hear the presentation of the gospel where you want to understand that God does most of the work. It's by grace. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man may boast. But then it goes on to the verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. The next time somebody says, man, you're a piece of work, you say, yeah, I am. I'm a, a, a master's piece of work. Created in Christ Jesus. 
If you look back at the original Greek, Hunter and I were discussing Greek today, the word for workmanship is poema. I can say that one, right? Close enough. But that translates basically as masterpiece. Think, think Mona Lisa. Think uh, works of, of literature. For you are God's workmanship. For you are God's masterpiece. He designed all of us as masterpieces, and he had things for us to do that he made us to do. Psalm says he knit us together in our mother's womb. He wired you and I with just the talents that we need to accomplish those good works that he planned in advance for us. That is so great. We have everything we need to accomplish what God made us and put us on earth for. And you know the good news? What we don't have, we don't need. That, just, that frees you up from comparing yourself to somebody else all of a sudden. You got what you need to do what God made you to do. You don't need anything else. All of a sudden, you're released from this bondage of, I'm not as good as they are, or I don't know the scripture like they are, or I can't do this, or I'm not athletic, or, or whatever your comparison is. You don't have to do it because if you don't have it, you don't need it. God made us masterpieces to do stuff specifically for him. Romans, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in one body, uh, sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members don't all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We got different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance to your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. You have a God-given role, and I have a God-given role. And your role may not be like mine, but for the body to function correctly, all the parts must be working. We can't sit idle. Maybe you're an ear. Maybe you're a good listener. Maybe you're an eye. Maybe you've, you've got people radar and you can see the people who are lonely or hurting. You know, I don't, I don't know what body parts you are and what role you have in the body, but I know the body is ill and sick if we are not doing what we are called to do. I, I took my wife and, and daughter, Millie, to, to Disney World a, a few years ago and we the first two hours we were there, we came in, and all of a sudden, Millie, who was younger at the time, walks up next to, uh, to Goofy, uh, and it's a photo op. I'm over here, but Goofy and her are over there. And so I, I run over there, not seeing that the yellow curb, which is the same exact color as the yellow street, so you don't see the differences there, and made a spectacular fool of myself as I fell to the ground in this run, caught myself with my hand, and it just swole up huge. We still managed to get in, you know, 13 or 14 roller coaster rides and adventure rides. But when I went back, uh, I, was, I had to leave the next, the, the afternoon we got back to go to, to work. And so I went by the orthopedist or whatever, and they said, sure enough, you fractured your, your metacarpal there, that bone that attaches your fingers to the arm. And uh, 
I said, fine, what do we need to do? So they put a cast on it. I'd never had a cast, never broken anything my whole life. But an hour and a half after that, I was supposed to be getting on an airplane at the airport. And so I, I go, to, go to the airport, wife loads, loads me up, drive to the airport, and I get ready to get out of the car. And I always carry a backpack and a suitcase and get your wallet out. And I'm realizing for the first time, it takes two hands to do that. I couldn't get where I was supposed to because I didn't have an arm and I didn't know it. When one part of the body is not functioning as it's designed to function, it slows the whole body down. It can't do what it's accomplished to do. Why is church boring? Maybe it's because as a body, we hadn't figured out what it is that God designed for us in advance to do and we're not doing it. And so the body is, is ailing. I mean, we can start right here with this group of influential men, figure out what it is God's calling us to do and do it and watch the body come back to life. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call and then he works through them. And I've got great hope that God is stirring people locally. I've spotted some real life examples of getting out of the stands and getting onto the field. And I hope I don't embarrass anybody, but Take Bruce, for example. Fifteen years ago, he got together with, with Butler, with Brad Butler and, and Joe and some of the guys and said, hey, we need to have something for men. Fifteen years later, we're sitting right here because he was faithful and he got out of the stands and onto the field. Let me pick on Marvin. He, he has the spiritual gift of dictation. Is that... Is that a spiritual gift? I don't know, but I do know that when I've been out on the road and missed Thursdays and I go back to see the recap of what Marvin has so meticulously typed, almost verbatim, there have been many times where God has used those words to touch my heart and convict my heart very strongly. Marvin's gotten, I mean, can you imagine writing all this stuff every week? You know, he's, he stocks produce at Kroger. He's not a secretary. But he's doing what God designed him to. Bruce is a painter. He's not a cook. You know, he, he may be a cook. I don't know. He's going to be a cooking team chief. But he's just an ordinary guy who God set up. Ed Coltharp. I don't know where Ed is. But God pricked, there he is, it pricked his heart and gave him compassion for the homeless population. He, he's down at, at St. Mary's every week making sure these guys have clothes and then making sure these guys have some food. The guy on our breakfast team who's not here anymore, he kind of looked like Jesus. I don't remember what his name was, but he taught me that even if you get some uh, shells in your eggs when you're stirring them up, it's okay. Don't try to fish them out because in a metal bowl, once you pour them out, they'll stick to the side. I don't know if you remember, he shared his testimony and God had convicted him to go down to the South Haven Police Department once a week and pray for the guys of the police. Just an ordinary guy. And a master genius with life hacks when it comes to eggs. There's a seventh grade girl I was talking to from youth group. And at one point she was decided she was going to be a follower of Christ at her school. Middle school today is not like middle school was when you're in it. It is a, it is a barren land from God's word. I mean, kids are trying to figure out what gender they are just as a cool thing. You know, like maybe it was cool when you were a kid uh, smoking in the boys' room. Now it's cool to say, well, I'm trans or I'm bi. Or, and it's just a status thing. I mean, there's such a loss for truth. Anyway, 
this girl said, I'm going I'm to live for Christ at my school. And she goes and she doesn't laugh at all the crude jokes. She, she keeps her, her mouth clean and her language clean. And she listens to people when she can listen to them. And she went from hanging out with the popular girl group to sitting at that lunch table that nobody really ever sits at. That's kind of got the kids that are a little different. And she starts listening to them and asking what's going on with them and hearing all kind of, I mean, stories of, uh, of abuse and uh, stories of kidnapping. I mean, you couldn't meet Parkwood. I mean, and she was telling me that one day, one of the girls at that table had seen her lifestyle and see how she was living and knew there was something different and said, hey, do you know how to pray? And she said, well, yeah, it's just, it's just like having a conversation with God, just like you and me. I said, well, can, can you teach me how to pray? <laughs> and she said, sure. And by the end of that conversation, not only had she taught this girl how to pray, but this girl had given her life to Christ. Because this, this one seventh grade girl was listening and trying to do what God called her to do. She got out of the stands and she got onto the field. John and his wife, Karen. John was a pastor for years at a big, big church. And they felt the call to start a ministry at Candlelight Trailer Park. By, if I remember right, it's been five or six years, by basically just going door to door with food and saying, hey, we had some extra food. You guys need some? And by the way, is there anything we could just pray for you about? They didn't say they were from a church or anything. And Little did they know God would call them into a full-time ministry to leave a regular paycheck and all the things that come with that to go, Gee, Lord, you wired me to do this. I'm going to do it. And here, what, five, six, seven years later, kids are coming to know Christ. Families are being restored. I'm on their board, and I watch God provide for the things he calls it to. They were saying, we got to have more of a presence in this trailer park community, what can we do? It'd be nice if we had a trailer. We prayed for that on a Monday. On a Thursday, somebody called up and said, hey, guys, I got an extra fifth wheel. Uh, could you guys use it out there? Four days later, they have solicited almost no money. They don't go around saying, hey, this is the great work we're doing. Please help us out. Almost nothing. Yet God has provided every single penny he has. And now they're helping with education in the trailer park to the point of where they have five different teachers. When God calls you to do something and you respond, he provides the wherewithal to do it. And I just see that over and over. I constantly, as I hear the reports of the kids coming to know Christ, and I mean, they start their, their education day with worship. Where does that happen? You know, they came out of the stands and onto the field, onto the field. And none of these people I just mentioned, with the exception of John, have a seminary degree. They're just ordinary people. John, while he has a seminary degree, has never been trained in appropriate gang talk or drug dealing or any of the things that he's on the front line with. I don't know how often he can use a seminary degree, but my point is it's ordinary people, just like God's story of how he called fishermen, lawyers, Attorneys, doctors, just everybody across the board is who God called to, 
to do what he said. We all have our role in the body of Christ, and they're all important. And apparently, it's important to God that we play our part. I'm not sure if he's a big fan of his using his name, but not living up to it. And I wonder if he was talking to a group of fans in Revelation 3 when he said, you know, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold or hot. I, I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Have you ever accidentally grabbed that warm cup of milk off the kitchen counter to get a big chunk, and you realize it's been sitting out for two, and you get that spit take because it just tastes so horrible, you want it out of your mouth. That's what Jesus said about if you're not hot or cold, if you're lukewarm, if you're using my name but not doing what I've made you to do, I don't want you in my mouth. He loves us, don't get me wrong, but he's saying let's step up So how do we know what our role in the body is, right? Legitimate question. I think there are three hints and one exercise that can help you know. And the exercise is to listen to his voice every day. Every day. You remember uh, Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself and pick up his cross daily. When you pray the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our what? Daily bread. Never did they say, give us this week our weekly bread. I didn't get this from eating one day out of the week. Give us this day. We start to learn and listen to his voice when we meet with him every day. Two life-changing questions. We, we talked about it in Ron's trivia class. That changed my life is when you realize that that book right there that Jeff's got in front of him is a love letter from God. It's not about reading the Bible, but it's about being with him. And if you will go every day and say, Lord, what message do you have for your servant? And crack it open and see what God speaks to you about. And then if you say, Lord, what can I change because of what you just told me? James says if, if a man looks into the word and doesn't do what he says, he's like a man who looks into the mirror and forgets what he looks like. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning and I look in the mirror, I change something. I comb what little hair there is or I shave. When you look into the mirror of God's word, you say, Lord, what is it that you want me to do because of what you just told me? And you start to listen to his voice. That's the exercise every day, and you start to learn his voice. And then the three things, and Jonathan talked about it. Matter of fact, that was a, a confirmation uh, when we first moved here that this was the right place because I've seen it happen. Those questions that are on your table, what are you good at? If you can answer that question, what am I good at? What, what am I passionate about? And just think right now, what are, what are, what's God wired me with? He's made us all different and individually. What am I good at? That's the starting point, okay? Like, for me, I, I enjoy trying to make people laugh. I enjoy finding out people's story, asking questions and listening. 
You know, I enjoy TV. That's, those are kind of my strengths. What are yours? Think about that. Because the second question is what breaks your heart? What are you passionate about? I remember reading a, a statistic that said out of all the kids we saw come up here on Senior Sunday, they didn't pick on them, they just said high schoolers in particular, out of all the kids that are in youth group, within two years, 70% of them will not be back in church. Let that just sink in for a minute. 70% of the kids that you've seen, woo, Jesus, here in youth group, 70% of them will not be back in church. They don't believe there's a truth. You know, when we were kids, we knew what the truth was. The trick was just figuring out how to live by the truth. They don't even know what it is. And that, that totally breaks my heart for this generation, especially as I watch my daughter go through middle school and see where there, nothing is. And then, where is there a need? Where do what you're good at, what breaks your heart, and where there is a need, where do they all intersect? And that may be a good hint at what God is calling you to do. I know for me, I came in here on Mission Sunday last, last year, came in late, surprise, and I, I said, well, we're here for Mission Sunday. That's kind of a showcase of the things you can get involved with. And they said, well, what'd you sign up for? I said, uh, I just saw the bullet. I didn't sign up for anything. He said, well, just, just pick something on the list. And uh, I knew my daughter was in youth group, and I had kind of a burden for these. So I, I went up here to the youth room where they were meeting, and Sarah P. says, hey, what are you doing here? Millie's not here. Well, I'm actually kind of here to volunteer. And she said, well, we don't have anything. And she said, no, wait, wait. We've got one, one spot. It's with the sixth grade boys. And I said, Lord, what have I done? And uh, I said, okay. And over the last year working with these guys, I didn't think sixth graders had souls, period, to start with. But as you have watched what God is doing through his word, we talk about where the rubber meets the road kind of stuff, where real life meets what God's answers are in the Bible. And we were at camp this summer, and uh, the kids were talking about some video games that had some pretty dark stuff in it. You know, and I didn't, didn't want to say, hey, don't, don't go play those video games. They'll, you know. But I just said, hey, guys, you remember that verse? We, I know you probably don't. Back in August that we were learning and storing up on the chalkboard of our hearts. And one of the kids says, you mean above all else, guard your heart. Here, a sixth grade kid had remembered a whole year, a, a, a memory verse that we had said before. Above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. And we were able to have a conversation. Then finally, in the, uh, in the, we, we just had a really kind of rough day. There were a lot of fights and tension going on. I just went back to the, my bunk and I prayed. I said, Lord, just pour your spirit out with these guys. Just pour it out. Let us know your presence. There's just the enemy's trying to work on it. And, you know, when I sing praise songs to God, uh, and it's to him, not just about him. Sometimes I, I, I'll just raise my hand. It just kind of comes out. It's not any kind of you should or you need to. It just, you know, yay, God, just like you would at a, at a football game. And, of course, you know, if that happens during worship with sixth grade guys, they're just kind of looking and snickering and stuff like that. But whatever. They're sixth graders. I'm not dealing with that peer pressure again. That was sixth grade. Anyway, after I prayed that prayer, I came back. 
And I looked down at the end of the row, and we were singing a praise and worship song. And the kid that you're correcting most often, and I won't call his name, he was, he was kind of doing one of these things. And he was just, you could, he was singing and trying to creep his hands up. Not that the making was spiritual, but something was connecting. And then during the speaker, the guy would ask questions, and the kid on the other side of me would answer them to me. <laughs> you know, well, has any of you ever had a, you know, a bad father situation? And, and he would answer that question out. And uh, anyway, at one point, God's spirit was moving so much that we're, we're getting to the last song. And he says, you know what, Curtis, Mr. Curtis? He says, I think I know all about God but I think I want to know God. <laughs> I'm going, this kid gets it. God's spirit was working. I mean, that wasn't presenting any gospel to him or anything. It was just God's spirit. And God had, had said, take what breaks your heart and what you're good at and find this need I'm going to give you. And you fill that hole and you may have a hint of what it is that those good works that I created in advance for you to do would be. So I just want to challenge us as the men of the church to do that, to be the men, to step up and spend daily time with him saying, Lord, I want to hear your voice. I want to recognize it. So when you call me to this and then ask those questions, what is it that you want me to do? And then do it. We will see the body start to heal itself as the different parts realize what their purpose is. I'll leave you with a quote. John Wesley, you ever heard of him? Kind of got the Methodist faith going. He said, you have nothing to do but to save souls. Therefore, spend and be spent in this work, and go not only those, to those that need you, but to those that need you most. It's not your business to preach so many times and to take care of this or that society, but to save as many souls as you can, to bring as many sinners as you possibly can to repentance. And Amy Carmichael, she said, we'll have all eternity to celebrate our victories, but only a few short hours to win them. I want us to not just get together and stuff ourselves with exceptionally tasty sausage and bacon. I want us to be the salt of the earth where we can be the light to the world. So guys, let's step up in this year and figure out what it is God wants us to do. And let's start with that with our daily bread. Let's start with that today. All right? Talking to him. Let's just, let's talk to him right now. I know usually we circle up, but I'm a loud mouth and way over on time. So let's just, let's talk to him right now. Lord, we are so sorry for taking a life that you designed for you. That's our lives and made it about us. Please forgive us for that. And Lord, I pray right now through your Holy Spirit that you would work in us today as we seek your heart and show us what those good works are that you planned in advance for us to do. 
and help us to do them. Equip us. May it only be about you, Lord. May it only be about you. And may we see this body fully functioning as you awaken our lives and our, our spirits to what it is that you want, Lord. Pour your spirit out on this group of men right here that we may have made a difference by the end of today for you and then do it again tomorrow and then the next day. In Jesus' name, amen.